LBJ counsel. I view the world through the lens of having been followed by a white clerk as a child while shopping in a five and dime. I'm a retired police executive and own UN50, which gives guidance on surviving interactions with police. Welcome everyone back to uh, UN50. Uh, my name is BJ Council, and we are recording out of Durham, North Carolina, the Bull City. And tonight, uh, who we have Chief Henry King, who is the chief of police down in Edenton, North Carolina. And so for those of you that are joining us for the first time, UN50 is a business that uh, that was started in 2015. I'm retired deputy police chief, and I started this business uh, primarily to help individuals survive interactions with law enforcement, primarily black and brown folks. Uh, but we talk about a range of conversations on the podcast to address not just policing, because I believe it's larger than that. We talk about uh, mental health, uh, education. Uh, we're probably going to be hitting on the topic of voting as well tonight. But we're talking about those things that can hopefully reduce the interactions or improve the lives of individuals so they don't get into the judicial system. So it is not just about policing because the issue is much larger than law enforcement. So we have those kind of candid conversations. So tonight we have uh, Chief King, and just in case you hadn't heard, and I'll probably say it again at the end, we released a film, and he is part of the film uh, called Hashtag H-U-E-M-A-N-S, Hashtag Humans, A Guide to Get Home. It's on our uh, UN50 uh, YouTube and on our landing page on our website. It's about, it's a little less than 28 minutes. And we also calling it that it has what we're calling a 5.0 version, a new version of the talk. And Chief King was part of that film. And um, so hopefully if you have the time, uh, it's free. Uh, we're putting it out there so folks have enough information on how to interact. So Chief King, thanks for, first of all, for saying yes to the film. Uh, I appreciate your support in that. Uh, and uh, helping us get that out there, helping us get the word out there for Black folks to have this information if they choose to to use it. So I'd like for you to kind of give us a little bit about your background, and then we're going to kind of talk about your career and the issues that you're dealing with as a Black police chief uh, during this moment uh, that we're in. Uh, certainly, BJ. Thank you for having me on tonight. I really appreciate the hard work you're doing. Um, as a Black father, I appreciate you and Fivo because I have a son that's 13 years old mm. and I want him to understand uh, the importance of uh, obedience, complying, cooperating, being courteous and complaining, which we will get into later on. But I appreciate it because, you know, I, with, with young kids today, they don't want to hear it just from mom and dad. Sometimes <laughs> they have to hear from that other person that's saying the same thing that mom and dad is saying. Yeah. I'm different when it's coming from someone else. Yeah. Um, yeah. But a little bit about me, I was born and raised in Durham, North Carolina. Um, those of y'all from Durham, I, I was uh, I, I, I grew up in a neighborhood called Turnkey. I don't know if it's still called Woo! Turnkey. Yeah, it is. Uh, it is. <laughs> 334 Wednesdale Street was my neighborhood. Wow. I used to play, used to play at the rec center. I used to go visit the Scots um, uh, at the mm -hmm. rec center uh, in Turnkey. And then my family moved out uh, towards the country. Um, um, and I uh, wind up going to Carrington Junior High back then and then Northern High School. Mm -hmm. uh, played football. After graduating from high school, I obtained a scholarship at North Carolina Central University where I uh, played football and majored in criminal justice. Uh, had a wonderful year at NCCU, Eagle Pride. Um, <laughs> joined the yeah, United States Marine Corps. Served uh, two years in uh, 29 Palms, California. Two years in Okinawa, Japan. 
where I was afforded to board a, a ship called the USS Exit, and we went all over the place to Thailand, Singapore, Philippines, Hong Kong, uh, six-month deployment, and um, mm-hmm. got out in the Marine Corps, came back home to Durham, actually went to a job fair at NCCU, um, applied with a, def- a bunch of different agencies, Durham being one of them, but Rocky Mountain Police Department picked me up, and I worked there from the year 2000 to up until 2018 before I transitioned to as chief police of Edenton, where I'm in today. And I can tell you that it is my upbringing, it is the training that I received at Rocky Mount, um, and it is the humbleness that I learned in the Marine Corps is why I'm here standing before you today as a police chief. Um, and I would encourage anyone of color, if you want to be a part of the, the solution, then apply to be a police officer so you, you can make a change within. And, and you know, for those of you hopefully going to take a look at the film, that's what uh, the, the chief talks about. Uh, that that opportunity of George Floyd gave, talked about that. And I want to go back to what you just said. I think people need to hear um, is that the upbringing. Uh, that that and I, and I truly believe that I'm so glad you said that because I, I we can give officers who we hire all the tools in the world as to what and how they need to do the job. But there is something innate that you have naturally of service, I think. And I'd like for you to expound on that a little bit more, but that, that I definitely, cause I, I, I did not, I became a police officer cause I needed a job, but it fit me like a glove. And I really relay it back to how I was raised to treat people. So if you can kind of talk about that a little bit, I'm just so glad you said that. Go ahead. BJ, well, uh, uh, I've always, um, you know, been a mama's boy. Mama always told me how to treat people. You know, <laughs> I, you know, I was blessed. Coming from a two two parent home, mother and father in the house, and then been raised in church, being the son, uh, the the son of a pastor and the grandson of a pastor. Uh, you know, Reverend C.D. Harris, Oak Oak Grove Free Baptist Church, uh, old off of Fayetteville Street. So I mean, it's just the bringing, the upbringing, and and I and I was raised during the era where churches were more of community churches, where sometimes they seem to be community churches and not. In the same people that's in that community where the church is at don't attend that church. They may attend church, but they don't attend that church. You know, right. they, they drive all the way across town. Or people from Creedmoor, you know, driving to Durham to go to church. And we right. want to get back to where people right in that neighborhood where Oak Grove at and attend that church. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we take we say it takes a village, but we gotta we gotta teach that village. We gotta surround that village. Yeah, we gotta get everyone involved. But you, but 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 to get back to what you said, the upbringing. Is where it is the key. Because I tell folks, had I um, listened to my grandmother who grew up in Longburg, North Carolina, I wouldn't be before you today because she had a different experience that I had with the police. But, you know, being I had a great SRO at uh, Carrington Middle School who treated us like we were her own kids whenever we was cutting up, because I cut up. Right. You know, I kids all the time that I, I cut up. I was mm-hmm. a class clown, but I stayed getting the whipping from my parents because, again, my upbringing, they wasn't going to tolerate that. Um, the upbringing, I think, is 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 key. Even when I think about it, because when sometimes when I'm ta- doing these talks and I'm thinking, you, you hear some of the community or some of the people in the audience, well, I don't ever want to be a police officer. I'm like, but you're the one that we need because you're out here, you're you're doing work in the community, you know people, and you may not be ready to go to college full time, but this is an opportunity that you know this. Nobody says you got to stay there for thirty years, and then also the history of policing. White men used as a way to get wealth, 
this this was how they built wealth in their families by joining law enforcement because it you know it's always you I mean you have like a history of family that have been in policing and that's how they got their wealth and and that should be something that we would could look at for there because it's I don't know how you feel about this statement chief but policing is can be dangerous but I think for the most part it's how you interact with people because it's we're reactive. You know, we're not there when you kill or do something to someone or rob someone. We're there more often than not after that. So I'd like if you talk about that. So people with this whole and I hope and I don't know how you feel about this whole branding of law enforcement being, you know, scary and deadly. And you could and not to take away you can, but I just feel like it's how you move through that space. So certainly, uh, BJ. Here's the uh, here's the here's the key conversations. You know, mm-hmm. America has gotten away from having a conversation. Law enforcement, yes, we are an authoritative figure. Um, you know, your upbringing, your teaching. You know, the military or the Bible says respect authority, but you have to respect. And you have to give respect. So law enforcement have to understand that we need verbal judo. We need to treat people the way we would treat our parents. You know, I, I tell officers all the time, if you investigate a case if, if you were the victim. You're not going to shortchange yourself, so you're not going to shortchange that citizen. You're going right. to treat people the same way you would treat yourself. You're not going to talk ugly to yourself, so you're not going to talk ugly to that citizen. Yeah. yeah. But I tell citizens that, just like you said, having, a social, having someone that went to college and majored in psychology would be great to be a police officer. Because mm-hmm. guess what? Maybe you can head up the crisis intervention training unit. You know, having someone that uh, majored in IT, you know, because now you can be the in-house person that can fix the office computer. So, yes, we want uh, the different thoughts and the different education. We just don't want all criminal justice majors. That's uh, right. That's right. Say, 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 that, say that again, Pete. Say no, it again, Pete. We, <laughs> no, we don't want all criminal justice majors to be police That's officers. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we, we want a variety because the world is not made up of just criminal justice. It's made up of all kind of – listen, I would love to know – that my partner, when I was uh, on patrol, uh, was going to nursing school. So if I knew if something was to happen to me, <laughs> I knew that person knew how to apply that tourniquet correctly, knew how to, <laughs> knew how to bandage me up correctly, and get me over to uh, National Hospital in Rocky Mountain or to one to one or fighting hell over here. So yeah, yeah. I want that criminal justice major who don't know how to put a band aid on me correctly. No man like that. So yes, having a variety of different people in this uh, expertise helps out today. Yeah, yeah. Talk about your four C's too, Chief. Yes. Yeah. Talk yeah. talk about that because I, I, you know, I, I have written that down a couple of times. I was like, oh, I mean, I love it when you came out with that. I was like, oh man, that's sweet. Yeah. So let's talk about that. Well, you know, I, I when I go out and I talk about uh, know your rights and uh, getting the citizens to understand what to do when you're accounted by law enforcement in, at your house on a vehicle stop or on the streets, I always talk about the four C's. And the first one is to comply. And complying does not mean giving up your constitutional rights. Complying means just following what the officer tell you to do. If he, tell you, he or she tells you to stand there, stand there. If they tell you to remove your hand out of your pocket, remove your hand out of your pocket. Just comply. You know, that doesn't mean you have to ask any questions. You have to tell them anything unless they tell you you suspect the other crime. You know, be courteous. Being right. courteous is just saying, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, yes, officer, no, officer. It's not losing your manhood or woman. You know, <laughs> right. you, you, most of your upbringing, you always had to say yes, ma'am, yes, sir, anyway. So right. if you're used to saying that, then it's not going to hurt you in any way. And again, you haven't lost 
you know, manhood of womanhood. So, uh, the third one is uh, cooperating. You know, by cooperating, again, that doesn't mean that you're giving up your constitutional rights, but if you don't have anything to hide, say, officer, I'm coming from Walgreens. You can call Walgreens. Here's my if you allow me to go in my pocket, I can show you my receipt that I just left Walgreens. You know, cooperate. And then if you felt like you have been mistreated and encountered with law enforcement, which is my favorite, see, which is complain. And the reason why I call it my favorite, because we spend a lot of money on training officers. Mm-hmm. So when you complain, two things are going to happen, or three things. I'm going to find out if you tell me the truth. Right. I'm going to find out that my officer did not do what he was trained to do. Right. And I'm going to find out, do I have a policy or I don't have a policy that covers this area and maybe I need to address it so that way we can fix the problem because we want to provide good customer service. So when you when you complain, it lets me know how my officer are responding to the training that they receive. And I have that body camera. You know, and when they don't turn on the body camera, my officers know very clear that the first time is going to be a written. Second time, you're going on, on a va- unpaid vacation. And, and the third time, you're going to be going out the door because my public expects to see that footage. And and when they, and when we tell them we don't have the footage, first thing in their minds is it's a cover-up. And mm-hmm. we can't afford to have that. We have built relationships and we have taunted having these body cameras and cutting them on. So you have to cut them on. And there are going to be some incidents where they don't, where they didn't get they cut on or they may get cut on late because we're human. Or they right. But, right. But, but that's going to be like a two or three percent of the time. Majority of times, those cameras are going to be on and running. So I want to make sure my folks, the people that are listening, heard you say. Now, I also want folks who who may not uh, may not go into our YouTube channel. We're talking to a black chief who just said out loud that his favorite part is complaining. So if you don't hear anything else that he says tonight, this man has just said to you. He wants you to complain on his officers to make sure that he has done or they have learned from their training to handle his officers. I mean, his community members in a professional manner. And believe it or not, progressive chiefs and chiefs that that understand what professionals, that should be something that should not be different across the board. And uh, so I just want to make sure people understood that that last word, because that's paramount. He can't do anything and improve his agency or improve the services to you unless he knows about the failures of some of the things that he may or may not have done for his officers. So just that's huge that he said that that's his favorite part. And then I'd also like for you to, since we're talking about that, your agency, what size is your agency? How many officers do you have? We have, I have 16 on staff. I'm started for 18. So I have two openness right now. And the population of my town is 5,000. And what's your demographics? Uh, We're 54% African-American in the the last census that we had. And the other thing that, that and he'll, uh, Chief will probably expound on this, but just so folks can know that uh, there are 18,000 law enforcement agencies across this country, and 90% of them are about the size of Edenton, North Carolina. And so, yeah, you see the large folks and large agencies on TV, but the, this is where the rubber meets the road in these small communities. Most of us come from small communities. And um, so having said that, Chief, talk about some of the issues that you're having that most people would think, well, that doesn't, you wouldn't think that happens in small communities, but you're having the same issues that the rest of communities. And sometimes, because you and I talked a few weeks ago when we scheduled this meeting, 
that you don't have the services sometimes to provide for your victims of certain issues because of the smallness of your community and the inability to provide them just some of the basic things that larger organizations or cities have. So kind of talk about some of the issues and then sometimes just a lack of resources because your community doesn't have that to serve your victims sometimes. Certainly, BJ. So, you know, uh, the, the bias or the perception when you go to small towns is, oh, they don't have any crime, nothing happens there, but that is farthest from the truth. We have shootings uh, here in Edenton. Um, we had uh, just probably two months ago, we had three shootings in one night, one being a homicide, and then two mm-hmm. shootings right back after uh, after that retaliation shoot. Um, and we know we average uh, one or maybe zero, depending on uh, the year. You know, uh, I didn't have, in 2019, I didn't have any. No, I had two homicides, I'm sorry. And in 2020, we didn't have any homicides. 2021, we had um, one homicide. So, but, you know, we all know that that's one one homicide too many. Right. I don't want people to think, well, it's a quiet town because I don't know of any town or city where they have zero crime. Because I tell folks, if you do, let me know I want to move down. Uh, <laughs> right. But, but, but the difference between uh, where I come from, uh, uh, my 18 years at Rocky Mountain Police Department to where I'm at now, is the resources. So if you are a female in my town and you are uh, assaulted um, by your significant other, uh, we have to call a place called Abermore Hope Line, which is in Elizabeth City. And they service Elizabeth City, Paquimus, Jowan, and Dare. So uh, those females have to, once they once they call and, and go through those long questions, which, which I call Genesis to Revelation, because that's just their protocol, um, then the, uh, transportation has to be made for them to go to Elizabeth City. So if this individual doesn't have a ride, then we have to give them a ride. And we, wow. don't, we don't have an issue with that, but now that takes the officer off out of the community for 35 miles going to Elizabeth City and 35 miles coming back. Wow. Because we don't have these facilities right here in our city. You know, we don't have the individuals, we don't have the structure or the individuals that probably can do what Albemarle Holtline is doing right for Edith. Albemarle Holtline does a great job, but they're servicing a lot of communities. Wow. Well, well, we, we, we so, don't have we don't have a homeless shelter. Um, you know, some may look at it different. We don't have unsheltered people here in Edenton, to my knowledge. I haven't seen the one standing out on the court of holding signs. But, you know, but if somebody wants to become homeless, then they don't have anywhere to go because we don't have the, those facilities available for someone to, to go to a shelter. Right. So how involved? And, and, well, before I do that, you one of the things uh, somebody and I were talking about, uh, you talked about your homicide. People, the elected officials, they really push violent crimes and things like that. And you and I both know that for the most part, more of us are victimized for property crimes. And so just, you know, if people were to, to understand that, you know, trying to, because right now uh, some discussion is about a person here that, you uh, is just a serial shoplifter, right? And he's really terrorizing a small, a, a particular district here, and which, for for small businesses, that's a big deal. I mean, they're saying as soon as he walks in the door, they're like calling nine one one because he's a serial shoplifter, and they have those, those issues. So how, you know, as far as your judicial system and repeat offenders, you know, what what does that relationship look like uh, for judge for things that impact your community the most? 
I would, I guess that's what I'm looking that, for. That, that's a great question, and I am glad that I am um, in Northeastern North Carolina as it relates to that. We have a great relationship with the district attorney's office and our ADAs, and we give our offenders an opportunity uh, here. Um, we have, you know, we have a serial uh, shot left. We have two of them. Um, and I, <laughs> without saying their names, I gave that two personal stories. Right. Um, one of them um, would go to Dollar General today, for example, get caught stealing, get banned, um, have a court date, and uh, go get a $500 unsecured bond. And the very next day, go back to the same Dollar General and still again, it's if they didn't know who he was. Right. <laughs> I'm telling I'm telling a true story, just not giving you names. Right, right, right. right. So then he would go to the other Dollar General across uh, a town who, who he should realize that those two Dollar Generals talk to one another and get caught stealing from there. Right. So it come to a point to where we realized as an agency that this young man had a problem. So I actually reached out to um, Albemarle, not Albemarle, I actually reached out to DSS. DSS put me in contact with a place in Greensboro that works with kleptomaniacs. Okay. Um, people that have a problem with stealing. And mm -hmm. I'm gonna tell you what the sad part, what about it, what the sad part about this situation is. I truly, and I want you to hear this, I truly realized that jail was not the answer for this young man. He never fought the police. He never gave us a problem. Whenever we would pull up on him and say, hey, where's it at? He would give it to my, I mean, the nicest person you would ever meet. Wow. When, when I called that facility in Greensboro, they told me that if he does not have insurance, that they don't, <gasps> they don't take Medicaid. I get a mix of Medicare. They don't take Medicaid, whichever one of the better. Uh, right, right. Uh, one's mm -hmm. for the elderly and then one's for the people that just can't afford yeah. it. Right. They don't take that insurance. So, we have a, a broken system in the United States that if we had universal for everybody, that young man um, could have went there. So fast forward, I can't get him in there. He still has got pending court uh, court cases because we don't we only have uh, a superior court here uh, once every three months because we're in a small town and we have right. on Tuesdays. Well, he got to the point where his history allowed him to be what they call habitual larceny, habitual felon for larceny. So, right. so now when he continues to steal, we hit him with the habitual felon. And that was the only way to get him out of here was to send him away from uh, into prison because he was, just like you said, my part two crimes, he was killing me. My larceny was going through the roof. I mean, when I, when I ran my numbers, he was running my larceny through the roof. But I, wow. really did not, I, I want the audience to understand, we really did not want to send him to prison, but we had to because my victim, Dollar General Walgreens, they were tired of it, and they felt right. like they weren't doing anything. Mm -hmm. So we had to give my customers, my other customers, that relief. But at the same time, this gentleman should have went to a facility where he would, could have got the proper help. I'm glad, and you know what? I'm so glad you told that story that way to make sure people hear that, because because we're not set up for that. You did your part, and these other systems failed. The other systems failed. And now you've got a man who has a mental health issue or whatever, up to whatever the diagnosis is for that. And now he's in prison. He should not be in prison for something that could be possibly cured by getting the right treatment. And and people, you know, like you said, and but you've got to take care of your customer because because Dollar General ain't having it. You know, because you're the one they're going to call, you know, and you got to figure it out. You did everything that you were supposed to do. But it's these other systems 
that fail. I mean, they're talking about defunding police and, and I, you know, I get that. I'm not going to get into that conversations, but if that's what you want to do, then maybe you need to fund these other systems. So there's money to take this man in and get him help. Absolutely. And I mm-hmm. use that. I use that same analogy, uh, BJ, when it comes to uh, when citizens mm-hmm. in the black community say, chief, I notice uh, the police officers are patrolling the black neighborhoods, but you're not patrolling at the waterfront. For the white neighborhoods and, and my direct response is based on our data we use hotspot policing and my black victims are reporting that the perpetrators are black so during the time frame so these occurrences we're going to be in these black neighborhoods because we're trying to deter other uh, victims from being uh black victims from, uh, be- becoming victims and because they deserve relief too so we're patrolling these neighborhoods and so that's why you see a high volume of police officers from seven to p.m. to one o'clock in the morning, whatever the time frame is, but they don't understand that because all they see is patrol cars set coming through a lot. But my black victims deserve relief too. Now, what should be happening is my white, my white community should be upset because they haven't seen the police as much. But we, you know, we're still going over there, but we we have target times that where we're going to be in these areas because that's when we're having the problem with like that. But I mean, the white community has no need to be upset. I think, Chief, I, I would push back on the because they don't they don't have any crime. They don't have any reason to call you. I just did a, a an interview a few minutes ago uh, talking about uh, uh, targeting or aggressive policing. You know, based on what Memphis police and we're having some concerns here about a particular community. And I'm saying, well, I get that. And then the other thing is, <clears throat> you know, you talk about the black victims or the people who want you there. Right. Because they want to be able to sit on their porch, just like white folks want to sit on their porch. Um, but yet you don't you're not aware of where well, what I'm, the, the, what's happening here is you're not getting the the officers are harassing us, but you're not complaining about it. So how do I know they're 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 being aggressive or they're not treating you in a particular way unless you tell me or you complain on me so I can dictate that. But also the other piece of that is, in my opinion, is what you just said, the black community, some of the people in the black community, police represents peace for them because they now can sit on their front porch and let their children play outside. I am in a, in a community that if I see the police, I'm like, what y'all doing here? Because I can go outside and sit on my porch. But we got to realize that the P in police for some communities means peace. And until we understand that as as humans, that we all should be able to sit on our front porches. Uh, so it's not, you know, you got to go because I think people, I think some people forget black people, unfortunately, for some of the marginalized community are asking us to come in so they can sit on their front porches. But if they were to take, if the, if the systems would take care of Mr. Kleptomaniac, then maybe you wouldn't have to be in the community. Because the, the system has done what it needs to do. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, BJ, I don't know if you will allow me to share my screen, uh, if, uh, but I want to share something with you. So I kind of want to talk about this, and this is how society should be. If you if you look at the middle, it talks about our youth, okay? You know, and then, then it goes uh, there to youth family. And then in the next circle, it talks about other uh, natural support, neighborhood, community, and volunteers. That's why we talk about the village concept. Then right. it talks about the churches and the faith-based organization. Then it talks about the community support provider agency. Then we, then we, and then if, and if the youth is still getting in trouble, then we contact social service and juvenile service. 
public school systems, you know. And then at the very end, after they have had all those resources, uh, mm-hmm. it's all documented and it's all um, uh, note notated. They uh, they bring it to law enforcement. Nobody should get upset when they lay that package on our desk, and then we do what we have to do because we know that this child has been touched by all these individuals before they finally came to law enforcement, and now they they became a part of the system because we all got buy-in from everybody. And that's what I try to live by here in my town, if I can get everybody on board. But I truly believe this is the next generation of how we can truly uh, police and still get the police, still get the job done because we're not going to uh, neglect our victims, but we want to give our kids a chance before they wind up getting a record that it's kind of hard to come back. So I kind of wanted to share this with you a little bit, and I can eat another for you too. Yeah, and no, wait a minute, hold, let it let it stand because in case some folks may not go to the YouTube to see this, I want to read that as, as it works out. So at the center of this circle is the youth or our youth. And then the next persons who are responsible for that are, are the youth family. And then after that, the natural support to com- neighbors, community and volunteers and the village around the family itself. And then the churches, faith based and the, the circles are starting to get loud, not louder, but wider because you're, you're having you're reaching out to more persons. So you have the churches, faith based organization. Then you have community support providers, agencies and social services. Then you have the public school system. And then you started getting into the to the judicial system with the juvenile justice system. And then at the end of that, the, the, the furthest out law enforcement, but everything from the youth all the way, there are almost one, two, three, four, five, six to include, not including the juvenile justice system, but number seven is the, is the justice system. And the last is, and I've said this on several occasions, we're the, we're the last, we're the last gate. We're the, we're the gatekeepers. When it gets to us, uh, and this kind of says exactly that it supports that. Yes. And I do want you to send this to me uh, is basically all the other things have failed by the time it's gotten to law enforcement. And then we, we're not built to do anything that these other systems are put in place to do. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Man. And then what I, what I also want my citizens to understand is, you know, no one should get upset at law enforcement. We did everything that we could do uh, because, like you said, we're not uh, we're not experienced in juvenile justice. We don't run team court. We're not a counselor. So when it comes to us, we're the police. We're going to investigate it. We're going to make sure the case is prepared for the day's office. And then we're going to let the system work for itself. Well, see, Chief, I'm glad you brought that up because also, yeah, because it, 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 what it all, and see, just taking the example of Mr. Kleptomaniac, uh, it got to you and you actually try to shove it back up into the other systems. You, you, you got him down at the very edge of, of the circle, the last, the last systems, so to speak. And you actually were trying to work him back up into the social services and community support and provider agency. You pushed him all the way back up into the, to the inner circle and it still failed. So you, you were trying not to take it. Oh, yes, ma'am. Right. So, so this, I mean, you, even if you got him, even, even based on the circle, it, it followed the natural process, but you were trying to shove it, which most agencies do as well. They're trying to shove them back into the system, but the systems are, they're failing. They don't have enough money. They don't have enough bodies. They don't have enough beds, blah, 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 blah. So, <laughs> you know, keep looking at us. Uh, um, it's just like, that's just not, that's not cool at all. That's not cool at all. So it is not, that's why when I started the thing, we, we were trying to let folks know this is not, um, 
just a police issue. But, yeah. I, wanted, but I wanted to share this with you, uh, BJ, because I know that you're out in different communities, and I wanted the community to understand that this is very important. If we can lay this foundation out and people would trust the process on from the front end to the back end, and then there was no hard feelings because when, most times if if you stop somebody today and you give them a warning ticket for speeding, then you stop them tomorrow and then you give them a town ticket. We have town tickets here. Okay. And town tickets don't count on your insurance. And, you know, and they don't cost oh. 50 bucks that goes to general funds uh, okay. for speeding. You know, okay. and then you, and then the third time you get caught speeding, you can't be upset when the officer gives you a citation. You know, because I mean, they they have stopped you three times, and uh, and and I mean, even if we go back to the verbal one at, at the first stop, then the one, then the one ticket, then the town ticket. I mean, wow. At some point, you have to say, you know what? I made a mistake. I was exactly. Speaking. You got to own it. You got to own it. I, I am so glad you did that. That is so awesome. I'm, I'm so glad that that. Uh, that you put that up because that's just absolutely perfect uh, as you're trying to do that. So, so thank you for that. So let's just kind of stick with that for just a moment because you and I also talked about um, the relevancy of voting and its role in police reform and things like that. And just so people will know where I am on that and my, and when I talk to, when I have the opportunity on a platform that people got to understand voting does have an impact on police reform. Because if you vote for the folks that believe in police reform, what in whatever fashion that is for you, I'm not saying you need to be one way or the other, but whatever that looks like speaks to your ideology for police reform, you vote for that person. And and, and especially when it comes to police chiefs, then the elected official will elect the city manager that also buys into that ideology of the person you vote for. And that's what kind of police department you're going to have. So people need to understand voting has an impact on policing and police reform. So give me some thoughts on that. Absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, I, I come from a family where, you know, voting was taught and bred in my house. You know, the people have laid down and lost their lives for us to have the right to vote on people of color. So how dare do you not go vote? You know, I challenge anyone, what is your excuse um, why you're not going to vote? Because those things do make a difference. Whether And it makes more of a difference uh, on the local level uh, versus, you know, if you didn't go vote for the president, the ones who make the decision is the city council votes, uh, county commissioner votes, district court judge votes, superior court judge votes, because those are the ones that you're going to be interacting with daily. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. I'm not saying not that not voting for the president is not important, but mm -hmm. I know what's impacting me, and that is this county commissioners, city council, uh, district court, and superior court judges. Yeah. Uh, those mm -hmm. are the ones that, so, and you have to, you know, um, look at uh, the platform that, that they're running on and what it and what best interest that they have for your particular profession. Just like you said, you know, if I could have a bunch of people that are pro-law enforcement, that is great. Uh, but I don't mind having someone that's not pro-law enforcement in there because you can always get someone to see your story or your perception. It's good to have someone opposite because mm -hmm. I can learn from somebody opposite every day. I don't mm -hmm. want uh, I don't want to be around people who always agree with me, mm -hmm. you know, because we because we can never we can never be, uh, be, we can never progress in my opinion. Exactly. You know, when, you have, when you have some people that don't mind pushing back respectfully, then mm -hmm. we both can grow. Yep. Yeah. And I, yeah. And I think that's people need to hear that. I mean, I, it, it's all about everybody's perspective. I think, though, 
you know, we all, whatever we want, I think the, the core is we all want to be able to go home and have peace in our communities. How we get there may be a little different and how we think we need to get there may be different. But the goal is that we all believe that's what we all need to have. You just got to figure out how we how do we collaborate to make sure that we all get there. So, yeah, that's that's uh, that's absolutely right. You got you to have different voices in the room for these uncomfortable conversations. Um, that yeah, I would tell you that I would tell you that the issue here in North Carolina, which I'm definitely facing in Egypt, and I know it's all over the country is people need to stand up about these guns, DJ. I am so passionate, and it and it hurts me and pains me so much to where these guns that we're getting off these individuals that are involved in crimes, um, they're coming back clean. They're not stolen guns. Everybody likes to say, well, they're, they probably stole them. Well, these guns are not coming back stolen, and we're doing the proper paperwork on them, uh, the ATF trace forms to figure out who purchased these guns, and we're finding out that the way it is written, uh, the law is written in North Carolina and the federal law is, if I buy a gun today uh, and I buy it from Lawman's, okay, the gun is going to come back in my name on the ATL trace form. Mm-hmm. But I can sell that gun to BJ. I don't even have to even get a bill of sales. I don't, I don't even have to check to make sure BJ is not a convicted felon. I can just sell her the gun. I can just sell her the gun, not be required to have you know any paperwork. But then when that gun, but if BJ goes and, and uh, does something, with that gun, and the, and the Durham Police Department runs a, a ATF trace form on it's gonna come back to me. Durham's wow. gonna call me to fall up. I'm gonna say, well, I sold it to BJ. <laughs> right. And then BJ was like, all right, you know, I, I sold the gun to Robert Gaddy. You know, it goes on and on. But then if they tell you they could, if they tell you, well, I sold it, but I don't know who I sold it to. The book stops there. Wow. It, it, we, it, we need something to where guns cannot be sold third party unless you go through a proper SSL and they're registered to the ATF because we have so many clean guns that are being involved um, in crimes and everybody's not doing a straw purchase. We just got people that are buying guns and they don't like them and they just sell them and then these guns are hard to trace and, and in society you can get a gun faster than you can get a job and that is that is a problem. I can take $100 and go around the corner and talk to Ray Ray and get a gun before I can get a job at the Waffle House after I leave my failed application out. And that's not right. Wow. That's good information. I, ho- I definitely hope folks are hearing that. I mean, because, you know, you talk about funk, folks talk about uh, taking away the Second Amendment rights. And we're not that that's not anything that has to do with Second Amendment rights. Let's just let's just keep up with where the guns are. <laughs> let's just keep up with I, where the I, guns are. I believe in Second Amendment rights, <laughs> but you should not be allowed to sell a gun third party. You should be made wow. that should be and that gun should be rushing through ATF. So that way now we know if we get a gun off somebody and we run it in CIC and it does not come back stolen, right? Then that gun should be when we do the ATL trace form, that gun should be in your name. Right. Right. Because yeah. And I, I think that's and I'm sure at some level I was aware of that, but I'm really glad you said that because now it brings helps me, you know, with my message and stuff and brings it back to the forefront of my my brain. I also want to talk about um your bowler rap. Okay. And I think you were the first one in the state. And I want you to talk about that uh, because with everything that's going on with tasers now, um, especially, you know, several months ago, there was a lot of taser incidents and folks dying supposedly from them. But I think professionally, as we know, that tasers are still non-lethal, as I was told years ago in, uh, by a city attorney. You know, sometimes the body's going to do something at the same time as you you put some le- some electricity to it. So that's just unfortunate. 
um, that a body may react. But for the most part, it, it's relatively non-lethal more often than not. But you have you found something, and I think you, if I remember correctly, you're the first one in the state to actually use bola wrap, uh, and and that speaks volumes as a black chief. Because you're trying to find the less means of you having to put hands on or even electricity or it's using a taser. So kind of talk about that decision and, and give us a little bit of, so people know what that, that is. And they may want their agency to consider Bola Wrap as well. Yes, absolutely. So I'll hold it up right here. This is Bola Wrap. Um, we have every one of my officers from the chief on down. As you see, I just quoted out my holster because I carry the same thing that my officers carry. So the story about the bowler wrap, uh, I'm a graduate of the uh, Police Executive Research Forum, Senior Management Institute of Police in Boston. Um, and when I graduated in 2016, I kept up with my classmates and we were on a, a group chat when one of my classmates out in California was talking about this Batman device. So uh, <laughs> he, he showed me this Batman device and it sparked my interest. I said, wow, this is something that we really think that I could use, utilize here in North Carolina. And um, so I had him. I had him send me um, information. Um, I, obviously, I wanted buy-in from my staff, so I played the video for my staff. Um, they 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 intend uh, in turn, and it was, was a little intrigued, but they just didn't see you know something new. The officers they just they 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 really they're kind of questioning about you know how would it really work. So right. I invited Bowler Rap to come to the Justice Academy, um, which is the hub of all the, uh, when I had police officers get trained through Justice Academy and they hosted the bowler wrap there. I sent my staff there, my captain, a corporal and a sergeant. They came back with feedback and then I hosted bowler wrap right here in Edenton. And what I did was, like I said, I believe in community buy-in. So right. I, had, I had bowler wrap come to my Rotarian, my Rotary meeting, uh -huh. do a demonstration and I had them go to the hospital and do it with the nurses and emergency. Wow. And wow. I felt like if we were going to use the bowler wrap anywhere, it was going to be for an IVC patient trying to lead okay. the hospital. Okay. So once my nurses and my Rotarians, the community, saw it and enjoyed it, I, you know what? I didn't have to go and ask counsel for nothing. They went to counsel for it. <laughs> <laughs> and they said, we, 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 wanted, uh, we want the police department to have this. Then wow. When the bowler wrap came, I invited my mayor and, and my, one of my council members. And my mayor actually got bowler wrap. So oh, now, I love it. So now he understands that it does not hurt. What it does is capabilities. And I, we have enjoyed it. And I will tell you a personal story that when we when I, when we we came the first agency to have it. And a lot of chiefs, I'm not going to say their name. Right. They picked and they joked me for having this bowler wrap. And, you know, they had these stories. I'm working for bowler wrap. I'm going to go to work for bowler wrap. Well, two years later, some of them same chiefs because police Reform was still being pushed like it should be, mm -hmm. uh, and things were happening. Some of them same teeth that had jokes on me, they they uh, wind up having the bowler wrap. And I don't say anything to them because I'm not gonna go tit for that. But All right. in, my, in the back of my mind, I, I just had the forethought. Yeah. You just wanted to be stubborn. So so kind of explain what what it is. I know. Can you explain what it is? So it's designed. The bowler wrap is designed to. Um, it's almost like the taser with the set, so it has no electricity. When, when we deploy it, it has a green light, just like the taser has, that we can place on the body. And when we deploy it, it comes out and it wraps around the human body and it, and it pulls them in. Uh, so therefore, you can wrap somebody, you can hit them three times, uh, high, low, around the legs, and then now you can move in and just put them in handcuffs. 
and and, and the string is a Teflon string, so it, you're not going to break it. You, uh, you're not going to uh, uh, you're not going to get out of it. You can't you, you can't you can, you can barely move. Uh, it should get wrapped around the legs or around the arms, and it's it's just it's just so much of a win win because if I have a a 60 year old veteran or 70 year old veteran who is strong who maybe have dementia, we don't need to go hands on to get hurt or hurt him. We don't need to tase him because we know tasers locks your body up where they can fall and bust their head. That's right. We can bowler wrap them and we and uh and we have them. Now, obviously, if they're standing up against a wall, the bowler wrap won't work because it needs room to wrap around them. So you have some, right. some limitation that you have. Right. But having this too, you know, it's just an added to to go with um um with our tasers and our lethal shotguns. And is it it's it's probably gonna happen, uh BJ. Uh, that we're gonna we're gonna bowler wrap somebody one day, or somebody somebody's gonna get bowler wrapped, and somebody's probably gonna have a heart attack. But the story headline is gonna be the bowler wrap killed them. But right. it won't it won't be because it has an electricity, right? And, uh, you know, and uh, and I'd rather stand behind that before I stand behind the taser. I'm not, I'm not talking bad about taser. I just know yeah. that bowler wrap does not shoot out an electricity. But I right. believe in taser. Right. And bowler wrap, and so what people understand the bowler wrap is the the, the kind of looks like the cowboys where, where they would throw something that wraps around the legs and stuff, and that's what it is. And it's a really large bang as a distractor, and it gives the officers time to get in to the person. And if I read, I think I read somewhere where you like he said, you can't. It's around you, and you still have the mobility to move. So if you do fall, you can kind of catch yourself, uh, and it can stand up to almost three three hundred pounds worth of pressure to try to move it to break it. So that so yeah so I, it's it's in between uh, the verbal command when verbal commands begins to start to break down. So it's in between the verbal command starting to break down and before the officer starts to consider taser. So it's in between verbal command and taser. Uh, which I think is just an excellent thing um, that that you've done, and so I I, I appreciate that. Now so, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you, BJ, I got a little, I got, I got a lot of pushback. Not in my community. Uh, I, you know, like anything, I I, I shared the, the information with a lot of the uh, historical black colleges, and uh, I'm not going to name the college, but one of the right. college, one of the colleges kind of pushed back uh, because they felt like uh, um, historically they would look like officers were lassoing. Uh, uh, Black people, you know. So, and I never thought about that, you know, the image. But I, but I, I, I counteracted by saying, where I rather uh, you bowl wrap my child in college versus spraying them in the face, tasing them, or hit them with an aspartame. So, you know. So, uh, but so yeah. now, there, you know, there are yeah. some exceptions of it. But I mean, but it's to me one of the better, the better tools because it's it doesn't cause any pain and, mm-hmm. uh, and it keeps the officers safe and it keeps our citizens safe and we right. want to keep our citizens safe. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah. And you, because you're still in a profession, I'm still on the outskirts of it now. But just to hear people say that and then you've got, you know, black bodies being shot 16 times or tased or beaten with, with bloody faces. And you're talking about using a tool where the, the possibility of injure, in, being injured, injured or killed is reduced dramatically. Uh, we've got to choose our fights. Uh, and then, you know, we get, we got to move on. It's a different day. You know, like we said in the film, we're not dealing with the same policing that we were dealing with in our ancestors and our forefathers. Uh, we as the descendants of slaves are working with uh, descendants of slave owners. And we have evolved. All of us uh, have evolved for the most part. So um, so what, so so just kind of as we close this out, kind of talk about this climate. For you, 
being a black chief, being being progressive. Uh, and I'd also two things I'd like for you to cover, because we kind of hinted up, talked about it before, is just obviously talk about this moment as being a black chief, but also talk about this. Uh, some people, you're in Edenton, and you, you made a comment about everything that you have said is also said by police chiefs in organizations, you know, that have 500 plus. And so this, this sometimes people believe that, oh, he's, he is a chief in a small community, but he's just as progressive, just as uh, for, forward thinking about how to serve just the same as if he were running a, an organization with 2000 persons in it. So we need to stop looking at police chiefs or in small communities that they aren't doing and working with and trying to do best for their community as a chief who may be doing that. So like, talk about being in this climate and then talk about this this perception that simply because, and, and I would also offer, and you can say help with this too, that a lot of police chiefs, now maybe not all of them, but a lot of police chiefs start out in, in getting their feet wet and how to run an organization and bringing an or, you know, improving small organizations to bring them into the 21st century. Because we still got some some Mayberries out there, with all due respect to Andy and Barney, uh, that need to need to take a step into the 21st century. So we need to not, we need to own that. And for my business, uh it's 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 working with those communities where the where the help is needed most to help them move forward and all this kind of stuff. So kind of talk about that a little bit. Well, well absolutely. Um, the climate, being an Afro American uh, police chief, um, you know, I tell folks um, now's the best time. There have been a lot of uh, groundbreaking barriers. We've had the first Afro American police chief here, first female Afro American police chief. We have all kind of uh, groundbreaking barriers across the country. Um, so now for me is, okay, how can I reach back and help the next person, regardless of their race or color? Because that's, right. that's what I want to do. I want to, I want to do the things that wasn't necessarily done for me because I didn't come from a law enforcement background. I have mm -hmm. the, I have the connections, the, uh, the, um, and the will to say, if you want to be a police officer and you have a college degree, a high school diploma, you're going to do right, you're going to pass these tests, you're going to train correctly. I have an opportunity to give you a seat at the table, opportunity for you to get promoted and be able to make decisions and be able to replace me in a couple of years. Right. I grow you to be the next chief. And you know what? That's one thing I can say about the agency I come from. Rocky Mountain Police Department trained me very well, and they have several individuals that went left Rocky Mountain, like myself, that went on to be police chiefs in Nashville, um, Fuquay, um, Tarboro, um, Edenton, of course, um, uh, somewhere out, out on the West Coast. I mean, we uh, we have a lot of people that left Rocky Mountain Police Department. Wow. You know, to, to go be police chiefs. And Rocky Mountain is not a big agency at that time. Yeah. It was six more. But we put out at least eight or nine police chiefs because wow. we believed in training and we believed in the philosophy that our that I chief covered. And I, and I took that and I molded that. Right. And, to, and also to touch on the chief uh, that I replaced, his name was uh, Jay Fortenberry. He came from Rocky Mountain. He left Rocky Mountain in 2009 and became the chief of police in Edenton in 2009. Wow. I, wow. Replaced, I replaced Jay. When I came here, Jay um, left to go be a professor at the State University, got his PhD. Um, he had 
plenty of policies. I mean, the policies BJ he had in here was pristine. My, all I had to do was just update a few. So I was in good hands. Wow. But where I changed the game at was that Jay had started policing back in the in the late eighties, early nineties. Mm-hmm. So right. Jay was uh, was not the type of person that believed or not believed but that utilized things like that, the technology. I came in the technology era. Right. So right. What I did was start to utilize this technology to be mm-hmm. able to put people in uh, in jail based on the scientific data. So that was something that the community nor the staff was used to. So right. I had to get acclimated to it. There you go. Mm-hmm. And, and those were the things that other agencies around here were not doing. Uh, mm-hmm. They were not using the software or, or the technology that could help them solve crimes. Um, and then when, I, when, they, when, they, when they got their exposure and they saw that it worked, it was mm-hmm. like the sky was the limit. Yep. So we're trying to get things like Nava machines. We, we're still driving to Rocky Mountain to put our shell cases in, in Nava because no one, uh, when, when you pass by Rocky Mountain, Greenwood doesn't even have one. When you pass by Rocky Mountain, there's no Nava machines nowhere else. Uh, in northeastern North Carolina, so everybody has to either go to Rocky Mount or the state lab or either uh, either um, uh, Cumberland County, which is three and a half hours away, or Wilmington. It please uh, explain the acronyms. Yeah, the NAV, I'm sorry, is National Integrated Ballistic Test. It's what what we use to be able to determine shell cases. Okay. So shell cases are just like your fingerprint to your gun. Okay. All right. Wow, that that's awesome, and 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 we've talked about it a, a, a little bit, and I and because of the work that I do, and and it's about comply and complain, or cooperate and then complain later. Can you kind of talk about the process of of that? You know, if community members want to file complaints uh, in your community, what that looks like, and then yeah. also along with that technology, not because you talked about the technology that you're bringing to you've brought to Edenton. Um, because somebody just asked me a question a few minutes ago, like, how can you find out? Like, if I wanted to know how many complaints were on um, Eden police officers, you know, what types? I don't need to know the names of the officers, but uh, would I be able to find out that Edenton police had six rude complaints for the year of 2022? Um, and that's a, is that available to your community? So they can have this idea of who's working and what, you know, those types of things. And just kind of walk through that for your community members. And just what you as a chief, how how easily, because you said it's your favorite thing out of the four C's, how easily is that process for community members? Yeah, so um, uh, I tried to push this uh, when I was a 2016-2017 president of the North Carolina Trading Affairs Investigation Association. I tried it so hard to get complaints to be able to be filed the same way across all 580 because wow. it, it is unfair and wow. it, confuses, it confuses a citizen when you can leave when you can you can be in Durham and say, I want to buy a complaint, and they say, okay, you got to come in in person only. And you leave Durham, and you're going to, and you stop at, uh, at Wake, Fa- uh, Wake Forest, and they say, uh, you can only file a complaint in writing. Then you drive up the road to Nightdale, and they say, we don't take complaints this way. All the complaints need to be taken in person, third party, anonymously. Uh, uh, if the person can write it, write it, send it in. If they can't write it, you write a form. You just get, you know, you have to dictate what happened and have them sign it, um, or you can uh, submit it. You know, uh, I lack, I will tell you this, my department lacks the technology part when it comes to the web, it, to be able to submit an anonymous complaint anonymously on the internet. Uh, where I come from, Rocky Mount, the IT was involved in where they could secure it and it would be sent directly to the internal affairs, which I was at Rocky Mount, and I could see the complaint and then I could, uh, that would be a way of receipt and I can forward it to the proper supervisor. 
to investigate depending on what type of play it is. So that's one thing I want to work on here, but it's, uh, to be able to get where people can file it uh, via uh, online. Um, but right now they can call, they can come in person, um, and they can file a complaint. We can take it over the phone. Um, and then when we get done investigating it, we will send them a letter uh, that tells them that the complaint has been reviewed. Um, and that if, if there was some type of findings, then we would tell them pursuant to 168-168 that we can't share discipline, but we'll, we'll assure them that, that their complaint was addressed and addressed appropriately. Um, and um, I'm trying to think what else, I'm make sure I'm not covering everything. Um, I'm looking for um, I'm looking for different ways to be able to um, share with our counterparts across the state that if we could get on one wave, um, but I know some things are political. Some people think, some people don't believe in third party uh, complaints. And so BJ, I can tell you that if me and you were in the parking lot talking and we're, we're reminiscing about the days when you was at Durham and you were laughing and, uh, and somebody walked by and they thought that I was being rude to you even though I wasn't and they complained on me. That, that person, that complaint should not go on my person that far. Right. Because as soon as they talk to you, they're like, he wasn't rude to me. He was just having a good time. Right. But they still should take that complaint. Right. Gotcha. But, but not right. necessarily make it a formal complaint in your personnel file because right. we all know that where there's smoke, there's fire. And we don't want somebody that's trying to leave in the future because they want to be a DEAH or, or something else. And where they got 20 complaints and they're all uh, unsustained or unfounded because they're still going to have someone look that sideways for yeah. why they placed it in your file. So you have to make sure that you still document it, but not necessarily put it on that personnel file if you right. find out it not to be true or not. And that's right. the reason why those body cameras are so important. Right. And that that is, I mean, I appreciate that. I think also too, uh, that's a, that's something else. And we'll also uh, talk, the fact that community members need to know what to ask for. That's what I also talk about in, with the community members. You have a right to ask your law enforcement, you know, how to make their complaint system a little more a little more easy and a little more accessible i know you talked about you can't do the um obviously because you're employees and we're we're, we're covered by that by being employees you don't need to know what my discipline is but i know in durham what they've done and you may know this that you file a complaint on bj and, and it's sustained and sustained means found guilty in our world that they list the complaint the type of complaint that i was filed found guilty on and then they will list all the possible disciplinary actions from written, verbal, all the way down to ter to terminations, that, and says that that BJ was found guilty of this complaint, and these are the list of the possible types of disciplinary actions that could have been taken, and just list all of them: verbal, written, blah blah blah, all the way down. So we know if you see BJ, we know she didn't get termination, right? But you don't know what she got in that chain, but you do know she got that. So Durham started that several years ago, um, that that was part of how they would let the person know, found guilty. These are the possibility of disciplinary actions that we plan to take on her. You're just not going to know exactly which one. If you see her, you know it wasn't termination, but you do know she was disciplined. Um, and I think that kind of helps. But then just being able to have access to um you know, the number, the number of complaints that are coming in on your police departments. You know, do you have a bunch of complaints about people being rude? You know, if you're an agency your size and you got 30 offices and you got 30 complaints of being rude, that's a problem. Okay. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. And, yeah. And we have, you know, whenever we do our, our State of the Union, our, our reports for crime, we also attach the complaints with that as well, too. 
So the way citizens know, you know, we have this many complaints. We have this many um, um, officer-involved accidents. We have uh, this many officer injuries. You know, yeah. you know yeah. those type of things uh, are important for our citizens to know. Yeah, it's about transparency. And also, and one, then we're almost closed. I want to ask this last question. So how is the your relationship with getting community members to come to the table for you? How is that working for you in Edenton? Well, it's working okay. I would love to, uh, I tell folks that I picture um, uh, like this village, the uh, circle that I talked about earlier. You know, if we could meet monthly, um, uh, I like to use Dr. David uh, Kennedy, uh, a high point model. If we could get on, on a given night, if I can get the cl uh, the clergy, if I can get the, the superintendent, the sheriff, DSS, head of DSS, the clerk of courts, juvenile probation um, supervisor, uh, uh, probation supervisor, the chief of police, my uh, my main community leaders, the the ones I, the ones that uh, people go to in the community for for resources at the table. When, and then we and we're discussing these individuals, both the ones that we tried to help that we're going to push toward the criminal justice system, the ones that we that are, are taking the help that we want to push away from the criminal justice system. That these business owners can give a job, can uh, and they can continue to work with and get uh, uh, service providers to help them on their uh, anger management or mental health, whatever the case may be. Uh, if we can have that monthly uh, meeting, have everybody at the table. I mean that that's a win-win. But it seems like uh, what I'm experiencing here in Eaton is when things happen, everybody's at the table. Then when things get quiet, you know, two mm -hmm. or three, four months, nothing's happening. Nothing nobody got broken in, nobody got shot, shot anything, no yep. shot shot, and then it's fade out to the sunset. Yeah. But this, these are things that you have to say all the time because these people are suffering every day. Yes. You know, yes. What, what, what we do realize is that one out of five children in Eaton, BJ, go to bed hungry in this town. And that should not be. That's a, that is a true fact for my town. One out of five children go to bed hungry in Edenton. Yeah. Wow. Wow. And that's not a police issue. No. <laughs> that is not a police issue. That's not a police issue. So that, again, brings us back to these other systems. So this has been a really cool conversation. So is there anything you'd like to, to leave us with before we close out? Well, I just want um, everyone to know who's watching this uh, podcast tonight, um, if you could reach out to BJ, uh, because uh, her system, her platform is, is there. It works. Uh, I believe in what she's doing. Uh, she's doing a great job in Kinston. Um, and I really want um, the NAACP uh, in the state of North Carolina to, uh, to um, question uh, your counterparts in all 100 counties. This platform should be taken and spread it out through the state. Um, and I'll look, I'll look forward to uh, seeing BJ coming down to the reason why I haven't invited you to Eden yet, BJ, because we're still in the early words. I'm, I'm trying to keep everybody at the table. Right now, we have a human relations commission, and um, and they're going through training. But when they get done getting certified and trained, I promise you, you are gonna, I'm going to have you come down uh, and talk to my human relations commission. So you can get them started on five more new for, for our community because I know that's going to make a difference because we're we're doing it and we're trying and we're trying to do different things here uh, and and my and my staff and my school system and the sheriff uh, they believe in this circle but you know we just got to get everybody at the table to keep pushing right 
I wasn't expecting that, Chief King, but thank you very much for those very kind words. And I do look forward to coming and doing whatever service I can be of to you and your community. So thank you again for joining us tonight on uh, our podcast. I really, and I, I, I will always be very grateful for you being a part of this, obviously, this, this film that's going to be out there forever. And hopefully for the next generation, as we're promoting it, it's going to hopefully take the next few generations in helping them navigate uh, law enforcement. So for those of you that have joined us uh, for the first time, thank you. I hope you gathered something out of this. Please go to our website or YouTube to look at hashtag humans, a guide to get home and some other uh, podcasts that we've had. Uh, and hopefully you have benefited from this, gotten some information uh, that you please look to uh, Chief King, who's involved in a lot of things. His information will be on our website for the podcast. Uh, the many organizations that he he is a part of. He is a forward-thinking police chief. Uh, so he can you can probably get some ideas from him, hopefully from this podcast, about things that you might want to ask of your police agency uh, to, to, to be the kind of agency you believe that needs to be in this moment. So thank you again for those that are faithful. Thank you for those that are joining us for the first time. And as always, stay safe, stay well, and peace.